I don't remember who it was that made the comment that he would show up at a site and didn't care what he was asked to do. That's what he was going to go do or volunteer to just tell me where you need me. He didn't care. It was no, there was no agenda. And I thought that was cool to hear. We didn't, he didn't, obviously wasn't going to tell us that. So to hear that, to hear someone say that about your child, it's pretty, pretty humbling. And I remember at 2.22, my phone rings and I thought, Green Prairie, what kind of phone number is that? I've not heard, I don't know who that is. Wow, it's been a long time since I had a call late at night that I didn't know who it was. And I silenced it. The next thing I heard is the phone ring down the hall and Tim talking. And then the next thing I remember is him walking back down the hall and telling me to get up. There's been an accident. It's been an accident. Mitchell's hurt. I felt for his wife, because the person that is her husband who went to work that night is not the same person who came home. But it's exactly the way God planned it to be. He ran back to Mitchell and was able to hold Mitchell and pray over him. That's where he was supposed to be. I hate that for Connor because he, that's his, he can't get rid of that. But Mitchell would, Mitchell would have been thrilled that, that Connor was there and could pray over him. But we just think that that's what, that's what we're supposed to do now. We're not going to be the last, and, and Chief Garcia said that at Mitchell's funeral when he spoke. He said, unfortunately, you won't be the last to deal with this, and we're going to look to you to help others, and that's what we want to do. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome ATO listeners. It is always such an honor to introduce our remarkable guests. I sit at the mics with the iconic Joe King and fierce Sergeant Wolverton. And today we welcome a set of very special parents. So take a moment and consider this powerful, majestic phrase, the ultimate sacrifice. Mitchell Aaron Pinton, badge 11654, end of watch, February 13th, 2021. He was 27 years old. We pause to remember. We offer solemn tribute. And we thank him for his willingness to preserve peace. And we know our entire way of life depends on the rule of law. We honor the servants who pay this sacrifice But in this moment, I ask you, listeners, to crawl in the shadows of passing time and examine 
who is ultimately suffering this unjust hardship, the loved ones. This podcast is grasping the moment to speak powerfully to our loyal listeners, asking you to listen to the honesty in these parents' voices, painting a portrait of self-surrender. Recognize their astounding, heroic effort to seek unity within the first responders. We must consistently regard the significance of the loved ones who support and endure our calling to serve. Mitchell and his wife, Noelle, shared a simple mantra in their daily routine. Always come home. A fellow officer and friend, Haley Dietrich, described Mitchell as a goofy teenager. They were co-workers before he became an officer, and she vividly remembers him walking into the Northeast substation, fresh from the academy graduation, with a profound present. Yet still, a heart of service. No longer was he goofy. But he was still that guy who would help no matter what and do it with a smile. Haley says, Mitchell will forever be someone she will miss. Loved ones embrace keeping a spirit vibrant, yet brave the burden of the ultimate sacrifice every single day. This is an episode to view a perspective from the steadfast heroes who love us and yearn for us to always come home. I'm going to let our guests tell their authentic story with endearing genuineness. Kathy and Tim, your tragic sacrifice is humbling. Your resilience, inspiring. Thank you for sharing your story cradled with love. Please welcome the mother and the father of fallen Dallas police officer, Mitchell Aaron Pinton. Kathy and Tim Pinton, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you all so much thank for you. coming. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Misty. You're the best. I'm going to go ahead and jump into this. Um, this is the first time we've ever met in, in person. We've been uh, chatting back and forth for um, going on a couple months now, it seems. Um, back in April, you reached out to me, and I remember exactly where I was when you messaged me. I was with Kristen. I see a message, and I knew who you were, but you messaged me and said, I'm the father of Mitchell, and we, what do you think about uh the parents of a fallen Dallas officer come on to give their perspective. And I kind of slouched them. I was at a restaurant and I kind of sank in the booth and Kristen's like, what? And I showed her the message and she's, she's like, Oh, you know, I wasn't, I was never going to say that that was a bad idea, but also in Kathy, we're going to get into this about the misconceptions of, Mm -hmm. of survivors and of reaching out. And I said that I, I would never have asked, and I and I really wouldn't reach out because we have people on here often to talk about their worst day of their life, and and sometimes there are many worst. They have a lot of worst days and, and terrible days, and uh, recover. Survivors of tragedy, I, I struggle with. I'm glad you're here. I think the I think the message is going to be extremely important for everything Missy just talked about, and I know a lot of people. Uh, it's probably going to be therapeutic for them to hear this, including y'all. Definitely. So. All right. I want to ask Tim, what prompted you to send that message, and what, at the time, what did you want to get off your chest, and and why did you think this message is, is important to get out there? Well, I, I really like what y'all do. It's it's built around 
mental wellness, mental health. And that's something we dealt with too, you know. I'm a typical man. I don't need to go to counseling. I don't need, you know, I can do this on my own. I got to that point where I, I couldn't. Um, you think just because you wake up tomorrow, it's going to be better. But it's the same day every day. So to be able to tell his story and to be able to help others, I think that's that needs to be our goal. You know, we've committed to doing things for DPD. We've committed to doing things for other parents. I mean, we have a relationship with the Arianos. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a really good relationship with them. We'll see them next week at their Run for the Blue. But we just think that that's what, that's what we're supposed to do now. We're not going to be the last. And, and Chief Garcia said that at Mitchell's funeral when he spoke. He said, unfortunately, you won't be the last to deal with this. And we're going to look to you to help others. And that's what we want to do. It, it's an act of service is, is paying, it, certainly. paying it forward. Uh, Mitchell uh, signed up for uh, to be in service. And, and now you are going to continue it. Definitely. No, sadly, uh, we see every – it seems like every other day there's somebody – uh, somewhere in the country, uh, going through the same thing, and I and I, you know, I commend y'all for for doing this and uh, and doing this for others. You know, it's kind of like when you get a new car. If it's red, you drive down the highway, and every car you see is a red car. So when we became members of that club, it became glaringly obvious. You don't realize how much it happens when you don't you don't live in it, but now. You're every day. I mean, it's somewhere every day, and it's horrible. So maybe we can help just one person somewhere, and that's that's our objective. That that makes it worthwhile. And and then when whenever we all started this this up, uh, that was you know if we could help one person, I with, with the feedback we've received uh, over the past almost two years of doing this, uh, I know there's been more than one person. That that's a good feeling, you know and. It's the ultimate act of service is to uh, you may help somebody many miles away that you never will meet. Well, now you have the our little ATL stage. I want you to, to present to the to the ATL family and to the listeners uh, in this country and out of the country. Just I want everybody to to get to know Mitchell Penton a little better. So you're ready to dive into this? Yes, sir. Uh, talk about Mitchell growing up. What, what kind of kid was he? I know he was the only one for the first five years. But. He was. We, okay. you know, we we didn't know we could love another kid as much as we loved Sorry, him. Garrett. <laughs> Garrett is walking out of the room now. No, it's funny we tell people the same story. We worked together when Mitchell was young, very young, in daycare, and we would literally argue over who was going to go in and pick him up. You know, we we had times we'd come home and we'd never even turn on the TV for a week at a time. Because we just wanted to lay in the in the living room floor and play with him. Mm-hmm. That's all we wanted, you know. So he he knew to a fault that he was sorry the number one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he appreciated. He didn't you know he didn't really take advantage of. It. And it was the same way. He was his only grandchild, the only nephew, the only son, yeah. and for five years. And he was like, "Who? It's all about me." But it didn't stop him from loving Garrett when Garrett came around. He didn't push him away because, you know, you're taking my attention. He welcomed Garrett, loved Garrett. We have pictures of him laying by Garrett just smiling. Just, it just, just spoke to his, his character. He was just a, just a good kid, you know. 
Yeah, he didn't mind sharing the spotlight after five years of, and then with a sibling coming in. Totally, absolutely. Where did y'all live? Uh, we lived in Arlington, North Arlington, at that okay. time. Home of the Rangers. Yes, sir. Are you a Ranger fan? Absolutely. The old family. Absolutely. You know, we talk about going to the old ballpark right there off of 30 and watching Jeff Burroughs for $5 in the bleacher seats. You know, yeah, that's how far we go back. <laughs> that was, well, that was the um, Ruben Sierra days and uh, Julio Franco. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The keeper of the big gold. Do you remember gold. the picture of Mitch, Mitch Williams? Of course. Wild thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my son's name is? Mitchell. Oh, no, I, I'm a, I'm a, I've been in, grew up here and the Rangers. I was out at that old crappy ballpark too with the the aluminum bleachers. Yes, That's in July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you almost become fused to the metal because exactly. it, you're burning. Yep. I've heard the term when it comes to Mitchell several times from several different people. Goofy kid, and he's playful and goofy and fun loving. Can y'all kind of go more into that? I think he just enjoyed um, enjoyed talking to everyone and playing and definitely playing jokes on just about everybody in the house. Um, yeah, Joe, that's definitely from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But it didn't bother him to be in cowboy boots and shorts and a cowboy hat and just it didn't bother him to just be himself. I mean, if it was in college, the things that I've pictures I've seen. Um, he was very confident in himself as who he was, and he didn't have to be anything for anybody but himself. So if, if he looked stupid doing something, he was doing it, you know. Well, you know, honestly, because you can be stupid or goofy, or, or but you know what? Somebody there is smiling. Mm-hmm. And that, and that can mean a lot to that person and also to you when you get it back. Because, yeah, you can be goofy, and but there's some people take themselves too serious, but... He knew he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He was he was playing and he was doing it for honestly to entertain himself, but also others. Definitely. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> he didn't mind. He didn't really care what people thought. If he thought it was funny and he wanted to do it, it didn't matter if we were on vacation or if he and Noel were driving down the road and she wanted to dance on the dirt road. They'd pull down the dirt road and dance in front of the headlights of the truck. He it didn't matter to him. You know, if that's something she wanted or something we wanted or his brother wanted, he was in. He didn't. He didn't shy away from doing things that he wanted to do. So what I'm hearing is he had a core confidence. Absolutely. Definitely. And where does that come from? Being loved and having incredible parents. I'd like to think so. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've had a couple of conversations lately of how did we get to this point with three children that nobody ever got in trouble, nobody ever had Our a problem with. good, man. <laughs> I don't know how we did it. Naive. They are good. <laughs> Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I, uh, I'm lucky enough as I have a nine-year-old, and y'all see me post all the time about her. I look at some of the other kids that are her same age in her class, and I'm like, I tell, I tell her, see, that's not, you're not to be that. You know, you're not going to be like that. And, and I got lucky. And Chris and I talk all the time about how sweet uh, of, and I hope it stays that way, but how sweet of a, a kid Carmen is. And, and Because you actually see other other people and other mm-hmm. kids and it makes you appreciate that more Absolutely. as a parent definitely She's a country music fan right definitely okay. favorite favorite artist or music uh, probably cody johnson. cody johnson oh really yeah, yeah. cody johnson garth chesney oh, garth, garth yeah. is back in in our day yeah, yeah. Was he a, he was very much a he was a guy who would listen to Plex before he listened to kscs because he liked the old yeah, yeah. very much so but yeah. during soccer it became a little bit of 
He could, yeah, he could ludicrous or anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. That is a wide spectrum. It was. Definitely. No George Strait? He liked George? Oh, yeah. He would do some George. He liked the old. Yeah. You know, you know as, as many of you know, that one of the songs we picked for his funeral was George. And the story behind that is Kathy and I went to Las Vegas to see George in concert. And he played that song, and we were like, oh, my gosh. I think she called or texted Mitchell while the song was playing and said, you need to go find this song on Spotify and listen to it. So he did, and he listened to it all the time. And that's when we were putting the funeral together. We were like, I think it's obvious. That's what we need to do. That's him. I haven't listened to it since. <laughs> Can you tell the listeners what song that is? Uh, the Badge. Yeah. Actually, he was making a video, and he had it streaming up on on. I think it was before he came out, wasn't it? I'm not sure. But if you know of any um, first responders, law enforcement, um, send us the videos. And they were going to take snippets of it and make the video for it. And I was like, Mitchell, look. He goes, I'm still in the academy. <laughs> no, George is amazing. Uh, we, we just had we just got to see him last November. Oh, and nice. The, he's amazing. Yeah, we thought that was the last visit he was going to do, and we thought we were special. But he's actually coming back. I want to get into uh, Mitchell's uh, – soccer career how did that well, tell us about that you know it's probably fourth grade mm-hmm. um we he actually all the way back to first grade at the ymca in arnington that would be kindergarten, kindergarten. He was, actually he was four i think i have a picture of me coaching him when he was in kindergarten on the sideline of the soccer game you had to send it to me i didn't know anything about soccer he didn't know anything about soccer we were just having fun and it kind of stuck um so in fourth grade he had the opportunity to go play club soccer so we found him a club. Um, actually, one of the f- moms of one of his friends said, hey, you know, come play in our club. We're like, yeah, okay. So uh, so we he got into club soccer. We didn't know anything about club soccer. We didn't know anything about soccer, period. I was in high school. We didn't play soccer. You played football. You played baseball. You ran track. That's about it. So we know the first thing about soccer. He uh, decided he wanted to play. So we got him connected with his club soccer, and we met a coach, and – that coach was a groomsman at his funeral, uh, Christmas, his wedding, and he spoke at his funeral. Um, so from the time he was in fourth grade till the time he graduated from high school, he played club soccer. Uh, what position? He was a goalkeeper. Oh, wow. Wait, he was, man, he's... It's the only well, he was, position. Well, he was I was going to say, was that from the jump? Because he couldn't... Uh, no. He, he couldn't... He was too he slow to run. To so once the ball got <laughs> past him, he couldn't catch up with it. So they said, why don't you play goalie? He was like, okay. It didn't bother him to dive for that ball, and Absolutely he could loved stretch it. and dive. Always, a lot, always so. tall. Always in, tall. In yeah. Long arm. Yeah, he. And his coach played for the sidekicks, and he was a goalie, so okay. it was easy for him to um, groom him into that even better. So he just loved the game. I mean, he would get up at six a.m. on Sundays to watch EPL on ESPN or whoever was broadcasting it. The rest of us be sleeping. I get up at 7 o'clock. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Hey, the soccer game was on, so I got up to watch the game. What did he but love most about it? I think the, the team bond. And, and that went all the way back to, especially in college. He still has, I mean, we still hear from some of his teammates. And I have a good friendship with his coach. Uh, they want us to come to a game next year. They want to, you know, they put his jersey in the Hall of Fame and uh, stuff like that. So, just the bond is what he loved. And it showed um, at his visitation we saw people we hadn't seen in years. And they were all soccer related. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't know who you touch. 
Absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's so, that there's a saying that you really see how many people care for you in your funeral. Absolutely. What kind of what kind of shows were he into? TV shows, movies? Uh, from a very young age, it was Walker, Texas Ranger, <clears throat> um, Chips. So I really feel when we say that that he was watching that. Um, really, Chips. Well, Chips. I watched it too. Scooby Doo, man, yeah. and so Shaggy. Yeah, the nickname. Why did he have the nickname Shaggy? Because Shaggy's tall and, and, his, and, hair and his hair was yeah. hair. Yeah. His always had long, long shaggy curly hair, and I think between that and Scooby Doo, um, stuck. Um, so between those two, that yeah, Walker Texas Ranger, and then Man Law and Order SVU. It was his ringtone was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dukes of Hazard, definitely. Oh yes, yeah, Gosh, definitely yeah, Dukes of Hazard. So, any other nicknames that he have? And Shaggy. <laughs> yeah, I have a list here. That said I, I want the list to, to, to be unpolitically correct. Um, he was so thin. Okay. We called him Fat Boy. Yeah, that's it the FB. It just stuck. It just FB. <laughs> I uh, I don't even remember. Beyond the Call, I think, is the name of the the nonprofit. Came through Dallas on a motorcycle ride or something, mm-hmm. and they asked me to sign a piece of paper of uh, a picture of him. I said, love you, I miss you, FB. And the girl's like, I got to know what FB means. I could tell that story, you know. But he could put food away, but he but never he, gained it. So it's kind of like the opposite. So yeah. that boy was <laughs> was his, and I think I actually had a street sign made in Canton. And he took it to college and it said, fat boy. I didn't realize there was a motorcycle, but that's not where it came from. <laughs> so what kind of student was he in high school and in well, okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he he made it through. He graduated. Let's okay. just say that. All right. <laughs> he graduated. He's, it was he was he more played, interested in soccer. And he had sports. to play soccer, so okay. he passed everything. Um, yeah, he was not a, a strong student, I would say. He was very much. Uh, anyway, in, in his he's a rule follower. You know, he would come. We'd, we'd go to a soccer game on Friday night. They played on Tuesdays or Fridays, and we'd go to Friday night. Then we'd go to dinner, and I'm like, dude, don't you want to go do something with your friends? He's like, no, no. He's just going to be alcohol at that party. If I get caught, I get suspended from the team, and I won't be able to play in college. Okay. I mean, he was very driven to to what he wanted out of his soccer career. I mean, he knew he was never going to be MLS or go to Europe and Pele. play anything. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He wished. Yeah. He, knew, he, knew, he knew his place. Yeah. You know. But that he he had a passion for it, and that's absolutely. what he wanted to absolutely. follow. And he didn't want to. You know, you're always going to have roadblocks and whatever you mm-hmm. do. But when you add in your own roadblocks or doing stupid crap and yeah <laughs> right you hinder yourself that's right you get, get yourself to blame and Good. i think through college it pretty much stayed the same he did what he needed to do to get by i think it was yeah it was close to his senior year and they had to do an, uh, an internship so he did his internship at a um a home that the kids had been taken from their from their parents be it drugs or whatever reason and so he went there and played with them and that's when he came home and he's like I think I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, I want to be here for the kids and an advocate. And I'm like, that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of studying, and that would be not a not a lot of money come back. Why don't you do a different kind of law so you can make some money? Then that can be your your passion after the fact because you're not going to make any money being a child advocate. I don't think through the state. So he's like, no, I really think I want to do this. So graduated college. And so we spent, I don't know how much money at SMU to go through these different, get ready for the, the LSAT, LCAT, LSAT. And so he wound up being a police officer. It didn't work out for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he started seeing, he was at SMU and he was seeing Dallas and he probably was seeing the, uh, our squad cars in the patch and having, yeah. 
You know, he's, I just, I think that just fit him. Okay. He's a rule follower, like I said, always has been. You know, it didn't matter. He would argue with a referee on a soccer field or whatever. You know, that was that was par for the course. I didn't touch him. He's bleeding, and you're the only one beside him, so it had to be you. But he would argue that it wasn't me. So I think it just fit. It just made sense for him to want to get into law enforcement because that's the rule followers, and that's the ones that keep the rules. So his degree just, was in justice administration. So majority of his justice administration friends – all became police officers. So I think he thought he'd be cool and go and do something different. With the kids, that's what he really wanted. But all of his buddies were police officers that were in that class and, and soccer players. Did he um, did he apply anywhere else for Dal- other than Dallas or really? Richardson. Richardson, okay. So just those two and Dallas called first? Mm-hmm. That's well, a con- Richardson that's- turned him down. I don't remember why. But um, he didn't make it very far. But I think they were at the time they were very, you know, one spot available and a zillion people were applying. And it's funny, everybody evidently applies for either Richardson, Plano, Allen, and Dallas. And, Carrollton, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, it was right after that. He's like, I'm going to Dallas. So, okay. Why not Arlington? Because we lived over here now, so it was too far of a drive. Okay. I mean, in that 30 head. traffic, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. going to the rock wall. It, it's a, it it's is, a whipping. exactly. <laughs> yeah, going over around the... Now, he thought about applying to Fort Worth. Because yeah. they wore the cowboy hats. Wear hat every day, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the only reason. That was the only reason. That's <laughs> not a bad reason. You know, it's not a bad department at all. I'll cut that part out for Earth. How, how did he choose Roger State in Claremore, Oklahoma? Soccer. That's what we said. Soccer. It was 100 percent soccer. We took visits to actually, you know, Chelsea. Chelsea played oh, one of his soccer clubs. The, the coach coached another team. And he had a goalie, and it was a, a girl, and that's where she went to play soccer. So Chelsea said, "Hey, come up here and check this place out first. He went several places. He went. He went to. Uh, we went to Centenary in, in Shreveport, and went to LSUS in Shreveport and visited. Went to Lubbock Christian. Christian. Um, then he went to RSU. I was out of town when y'all they took their mm-hmm. first visit to RSU, and he called me. He goes, Dad, this is where I want to go. I'm like. You don't marry the first girl you date, dude. Just let's yeah. look around here. There's other there's other colleges out because there is nothing in Claremont, Oklahoma. I have nothing against Claremont, Oklahoma, but there when he went there, when they were in AI, when he got there, when he left, they were Division Two. They had a Walmart there and was, Chili's. Yeah, there's Route 66, and that, there's not a whole lot more. And he but loved he it. Loved that place. Some good country music, though. There is absolutely. <laughs> he loved it. And he it, found yeah. every bit of it. That's where he first saw Thomas Rhett before Thomas yeah. Rhett was big. Absolutely. Yep. And he he just loved that place. He would go back there. He would live there if he could. There's mm-hmm. nothing there's nothing wrong with a small town feel. True, true. You know, it's better than some <laughs> alternatives here. And how did y'all feel about uh, him wanting to get become a police officer, and especially in Dallas? You know, we supported him 100. percent He had never I shouldn't say never made a bad decision, but he was always seemed to be sensible about why he did things. So when he came to us and said, "Hey, I think this is what I'm going to do." to do will support you i mean it's it's a it's a honorable position i think we were a little naive because we were used to police officers in that in that when we were younger and it was all about respect no you saw a police officer on the side of the road you you know you slowed well, down we respect or, them. Well, mean, absolutely period didn't realize that there was people out there that didn't and again that's us being naive because we weren't connected uh if you would there's no law enforcement in your family? No, ma'am. My dad was military. My dad was in the Air Force for 35 years, and I think he kind of liked that thought. But, um, yeah, we're, we're rule followers. It just doesn't – yeah. 
I didn't, uh, like I said, we, we respected law and we thought everybody else did too. Not until he got involved and we got to talk to others. I was like, there's a whole regime out there that thinks the police are bad. You've got me curious about 35 years in the Air Force. That's a long time for a military career. Mm-hmm. What, what did he actually do? He was a senior master sergeant, so it was kind of on that civil, civilian sti- side. Um, so he worked out at Hensley Field, which I don't, y'all know where it all is. And he, he thought that was super cool when he realized that his papa flew a C-130s out that same runway that y'all have cars sitting on. But yeah, that's it was a civilian job. So my we stayed here, and my dad would go to you know Panama or you know Honduras or Germany or wherever. But we stayed on this side so 35 years is a really long time for, for military yeah most of those guys are 20 and done so awesome i think he was mad when he had to retire oh he was i'm not gonna be mad when i retire <laughs> i want to get into adam's story and their bond and can y'all tell I, you, you you sent me something and and i'm very interested in in uh adam uh, can you kind of talk about that so Adam uh, was one of his classmates, one of his soccer teammates. Um, he became, so they, they lived together one semester or one year. I don't remember which one it was. Um, and it's just, I suppose, soccer, you know, they spent a lot of time together. They just became really good friends. Um, I think after, co- after college, Adam became a police officer in Owasso, Oklahoma. Later became a canine. I don't know how long it was that he had a canine after that. And... So Mitchell graduates, and I think they kind of, they still stayed in touch, but not like they did once Mitchell was really entertaining it. And then they kind of really got back to talking. Um, I know Mitchell went uh, went up there a few times, but it just became, I, I really think there was a little bit more pull about Mitchell becoming a police officer from hearing Adam's cool stories. Of course, you know, he's got a canine, so he's, you know, he's a meth dog, he's doing this, he's doing that. And actually we don't have dogs never have Mitchell wound up getting a dog and Adam brought this dog from this horrible part of Oklahoma all the way down here to Mitchell um but they just they had a very they had a very close bond spent a lot of time they both worked deep nights so there was a lot of times that they talked on the phone so um back and forth with their stories I'm going to do this I think there might have been a little bit of pull Mitchell was trying to get him to come down here um big city you know when he's got a canine, there's only, you know, his parameters are a lot smaller than Mitchell's. I think Mitchell was in his first FTO phase when he had, was on his first homicide. And he just, I know he was just, had to be building all up to Adam. So that was the plan was he was going to get him to come down here and they were going to conquer Northeast together. Um, and I remember asking Mitchell one time, I was like, what's taking Adam so long? And he had to get all of his paperwork together. I think there had been some some driving record or something he was trying to get from from Owasso before he could finish everything up then we had our our accident he started Dallas PD you went he went into class 365 Mitchell yes Correct. okay mm-hmm. I'm gonna add, we're gonna tell some stories that you heard from him about that and uh we're also gonna uh pull back the curtain a little bit more on then Sergeant Foy now Chief Foy <laughs> <laughs> he listens to these and I know he, he is Jeremy is very aware that y'all are sitting here today. <laughs> uh, he's excited to hear this. So can y'all talk about some stories that um, Mitchell shared from y'all? And, and do you see a level of excitement in him of sitting in those? Definitely. You know, like Absolutely. With his gun mold and his uh I think belt. one of the coolest things early on was, and they don't do, I don't know that they do it anymore, is I think after being in there, what, a week, 10 days, they had 
the dinner where the parents came. And I don't know if they don't, I, Adam's class didn't do it, so I don't know if they still do it, but that was really cool. We're bringing that back, actually. We're going we're gonna to have in, uh, we're bringing in a wellness piece and have an education for the families and uh and, nice. and bringing them together yes something i remember that they said and it's kind of getting off is is there was an officer who said it's an interesting time to be a police officer we're proud of your kids because nobody likes police officers like they used to and i just remember that kind of was like hmm but yeah i mean all that first week of in the suits and you know i've got a couple of pictures that people took um but he he was loving it, you know, loving loving it from the get-go. He liked the structure. I mean, I think that's what he liked about soccer as well. He didn't really care for his coach all the time, uh, but there was structure around what he did. They woke up at the same time, and they practiced at the same time, and if they went on the road, they went on. They left at the same time, and he knew when he was going to be back. And so the structure from college just kind of rolled over to the structure of the academy, and I think he liked that. Did he live at home while he was in the academy? For a few months. I think they started, he started, his class started February. I think he moved. April, May. April, May, moved out. Because he was like, man, this drive is ridiculous from, you know, Redbird to Richardson. And just, you can't get there anywhere quicker. I mean, so he he had his first apartment by himself down there. Where at? I don't know. It's right by the library. So it's the same place that the chief of DeSoto PD lived at at the time. So. Okay. I don't remember. I don't remember the area. I know it butts up to the DeSoto City Hall. City Hall. Yeah. yeah, I know Sonic was between his apartment. And that's what mattered. And, uh, <laughs> that's and the academy. Mattered. That's all that mattered. Because <laughs> he, he could eat what he wanted. It didn't matter. Well, he's yeah. working out too at the academy. Yeah, he wore that uniform and realized he can get a soda for free. Yeah. He's like, okay. Ah, there you go. <laughs> when you, well, you was already in shape. It's not, he's probably oh, always yeah. been in shape. So he gets in there in the academy and he's introduced to uh, somebody named Foy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Can y'all kind of talk about uh There was no introduction. <laughs> okay. It was, you know, yeah. Uh, okay. He was terrified of him. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I, I told. I told Foy that terrified of him. I mean, so much so that when I met him for the first time, I told him, "I'm scared of you." <laughs> but yeah, he. I mean, you know, those backdoor assists, and you know, drop, go, boom, and that. That's just like all the time. <laughs> No, I uh, I saw a video recently of uh, of Foy when he was a sergeant at the academy, and 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 Mitch, and Mitchell is in the background uh, running through it on, on the video, and then and then Foy's walking in front of him doing inspe- inspecting a uniform. You know, Foy's old military, and he's and that army yeah. came out. I think if that's what it was, if Foy's head could get any bigger <laughs> right now, I promise did. you, he's just he's loving the fact that people were scared of him. <laughs> You know, I would tell you, you know, on the, on the opposite side of that, he was the one who walked us through everything at Restland when we picked out Mitchell's. You know, they they put us in the room and they came and said, "This is what's going to happen. These are the steps." And yes, sir. And he yes, was sir. and he was the one who kind of headed that up. And it was it was a different side. It was a personal side. It was a hey, I want to take care of y'all. And, and and Mitchell's wife was having some issues with somebody. Um, he took that information and and took care of that problem for her. Uh, so it was a different side of him. You know, we always heard the, you know, he's tough, he's hard, he's, you know, hardcore, and he's this and he's that. And then we saw that side, and we were like. Too bad Mitchell didn't get to see this. You're, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're you're human, too, as far as personal goes. Mm-hmm. So I think that knowing that made us go, what a great guy. Yeah, it, 
Foy is uh, he is he has different layers to him, mm-hmm. and he and I are friends. We've been friends for a very long time, and I know the side of Foy as a police officer, senior corporal, and a sergeant. Actually, I worked for him, and then moving all up, I, and then him. He 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 knew it was important to mold the young officers and young people to become young officers to survive. And yeah, he's hard for working for four. He's hard. He demands a lot. He does not like lazy people. And he, he wants things done the way Foy wants them done, but that isn't a bad thing either. He has structure. He has, uh, but he genuinely cares about people. And how I know that is he ran the honor guard for so long, mm-hmm. which is really, when you think about it, it's it, there's a lot of ceremony and tradition, but it really is for others. Definitely. So I'm not a bit surprised that he, I think he was he perfect for for yeah. for that group. Um, I I don't know if he was there after because I know they had the bigger academy classes after him, which will start out with fifty. I think they graduated forty six, forty eight, something like that. Yeah, he he hasn't found anything that he's not really good at at this point. I mean, they <laughs> they sent him to personnel, and he killed it at personnel, and now he's doing great things out in patrol. So mm-hmm. we like to give him a hard time, uh, but no, he he is just like Joe said, he's a man of many layers, and and he's a great dude all the way around. We we really are fond of him. Just a just a good person. We need to delete that. Yeah, we're gonna take that. We're gonna take that out of there. Don't worry. I mean, mark the time here. I want to talk about his time when he finally graduated and and uh, escaped the grasp of the evil Chief Foy, Foy and Sergeant Foy, and he gets out the Northeast. What was that like for him? From what y'all y'all could hear, that was the place he wanted to be, and and I think it was just in that's the area he knew. Of course, he have been to Lake Highlands. He went to Richardson High School. Lake Highlands is the same district. He had been to Lake Highlands High School many times playing soccer or, or watching football or whatever it might be. So he knew that area. And it wasn't that far from Mama. I mean. It was down the street. It was Mama. right down there. We were living right there. At, you know, <laughs> we live in the first exit into Richardson. So he knew that if when he got to his certain point, he could say, hey, Mom, you want to meet me for dinner or whatever it might be. And that wasn't ever far from his mind um they have an incredible relationship and it and that played a part in where he decided he wanted to go um he got there and he just you know even on his in his on his fto stuff he just couldn't <laughs> stop learning that's all he wanted to do it was like a sponge he was talked about it and finally we were like dude today's your day off let's go play golf <laughs> let's go do something else because we've he... heard those stories and we're hearing them again now. <laughs> so he just he just encased that whole not only Northeast, just the law enforcement field, a hundred percent. He was all in. You know, I, we've had various conversations of where would he have gone? What, what could he have done? You know, I think I get to the point now where I don't. I will always miss him, but there's times when I feel sad that for him that he didn't get to experience more things. And I think that's part of his career would have been, I, I don't know what he would have done. There's no telling. But I think he would have would have been successful. And, and he always respected everybody in the room. It didn't matter who it was or what their rank was. They were human, and he was going to respect them for that, number one. Number two, they were police. And that's... He loved Northeast. That's he, him. He did. Um, had several classmates that were there. Um Two of them, as I was mentioning earlier, that, you know, when he got on, hey, where are you? What call are y'all on? Do you need backup? He always either texted him, where are you? What call? What are you doing? Let me, I'll, I'll jump on that call with you. I'll come, you know, I'll come help. He didn't shy away from, from anything. He always wanted to help 
whatever whatever call that there was. Um, and we had, I think he had his little letdown with me. Sometimes he would call me, you know, I'd be up and he'd call me at six o'clock in the morning. Mom, this lady just got ran over. She got hit by an 18 William. We had to go find pieces and parts of her all over. And I'm like, questioning this, 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 this. And he, he loved it. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. The kids, obviously, he had a couple of those that were really tough. Um, but he loved it. What were his classmates' names? Callie Miller and Carmen Martinez at there. Um, Gentch, he answered lots of calls with Gentch. I uh, talked about him often. Um, Nate Bryan. The, well, no, he, Nate wasn't at Northeast. No, just his oh, academy it, class. Just classmates, and, yeah, Nate Bryan. I know Callie very well. She uh, actually, she reached out to me several times, probably eight or nine years before she actually applied to try to get more information about applying you know, and I, now I know her, her husband, really, he's still on the department. Yes. And, uh, She's coming back. Oh, is she? Oh, I hope good, so. I good. hope so. <laughs> right, well, I didn't know that part, but breaking news here. But yeah. no, I, I've, yeah, she's, she is, uh, she's, uh, she's going to be tuning into this as well. Yeah, he thought that they were going to ride together at one point in time. So, um, he, he, yeah, they all have their stories, you know, uh, but he did love it. So he loved finding problems on Ferguson. Loved it. Ferguson was Ferguson was his place, man. And it, it's funny because I'll talk to Adam now, and it's like his is five points, and then it's like, what about Ferguson? And man, there's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of problems all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who pinned his badge on? His mama, and that I think that just speaks to their relationship. Yeah, that was. My boys are mama's boys. Sorry. Yes, they are. How did that feel putting that badge on? It felt. I mean, it was great. I remember laughing at him because I had my contacts in and I was like, Mitchell, you know, I'm not going to be able to see this hole. And so I'm trying to talk to him the whole time through going, I cannot get the back there. I cannot get the back there. I cannot get the back there. And, you know, they've got this lights <laughs> on. So we're just laughing. Um, wished it could have been um, Chief Garcia. He really, he, that's a whole story in itself, but he really, he really liked him. We're going to get into that of, uh, of some things later on that he, that, that Chief said that, uh, that you mentioned that I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing. Something I thought was interesting. I don't know if they said it to you. So you, we pinned, we walked down, and there's, you know, command staff there. Um, and I don't know who it was, and, and I wish I do. I wish I did, but I, an older gentleman shook my hand really strong and said, Welcome to the family. And that just that stuck with me. I just thought, what a cool thing to say. So all the people's hands we shook, and that's the one thing. I just remember that thing. Oh, that's cool. Does it still feel like family? More like family so. than it did that day, that's for sure. I think the sense of accomplishment for him is what we were most proud of. <laughs> it's just, you accomplished it. I mean... You made it through penal code. You made it through, you know, <laughs> nine months. You survived four. <laughs> you, you mentioned him being a, 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 a subpar student. Uh-huh. So how are those tests every Monday? I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. He, I know they had Taco Tuesdays at his apartment. Several guys, they'd have study <laughs> groups. They do. I, I think it started out as studying. I think they ended up watching Stars hockey and, yeah, and eating tacos. And and Nicole one or two. But it's, <laughs> he's, he, he, I mean, he, he committed to it. He, there was days when he would go to the library and he's like, look, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm gone for the next four hours. Don't call me. Yeah. I'll be at the library studying. Lots of note cards. Well, those, those tests are no joke. I, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. care what level of of student you are or education. I mean, I, there's a lot of people that are highly educated that go in there. And cause when you factor in the physical part, it's not just as test taking and studying. There's a lot that you have to pack in in that, that academy. 
And then you have to have the stress of the people that are the staff. That are, the staff that are there are most of them are putting on a show <laughs> to make you better, to make you tougher, and and you know, and put you in a different mindset. But that you add that layer of stress in on top of studying, and then being fit, and then learning new things, and it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It is, you know. He, like Tom Pettit wasn't the best student. His first semester in college, he came home. I said, "Hey, how's your GPA?" He's like, uh, "You know." I'm like, well, how's your GPA? He's like, eh, I think it's like a 1.6. I'm like, oh, so you didn't go there. You went to play soccer. You didn't really go to school. I, I get where you're coming from. And it from. wasn't because it was out partying. He no. was, they were playing FIFA, you know, on the whatever. They weren't drinking. They were playing. So they had, a, they had an apartment complex on the school property that the student the athletes lived in. So they had four bedrooms, a full kitchen, full living room. So somebody, they'd pull all the couches and put them in one room, and then they just have a FIFA tournament. You know, it was just, that's just what they did. Uh, or food fights, one or the other. So obviously he asked his team, you know, he came home in December and that's how soccer going to be. Oh, you know, it was good. You know, they played from August till October was their, was their calendar year. So he, he has lighter classes during the season and his heavier classes in the off season. But that GPA, I was like, dude, you know, you're going to have to get a 4.0 the rest of your career just to get your GPA close to where you want to be you want to go to law school then you know that's a big player i think he applied himself a lot harder when he wanted it so he knew he had to do the penal code he knew it was every monday so he made sure that that he applied himself a lot harder on that i want to describe uh, a little bit to the north northeast substation we've talked about it before we've had people on that have been there from a long time ago the other god's country the other god's country yes <laughs> the great matt baines yes the great matt baines <laughs> I, northeast is probably a little different than when when he was there now baines is all old and he's narcotics again but uh, <laughs> sorry matt love you it is a large area and it's such a diverse area and it is it's crime ridden in several parts of it but it is one of the busiest substations we have here and they've got pages after pages sergeant peace is sitting there he knows he's well aware of how busy they are it but it has a lot of young officers there there are a lot of young officers on there and on the watch uh that that mitchell work all young cats right you Mm -hmm. know and most of his classmates and people are actually in the academy at the same time he was with the they were on the up same, there. Uh, yeah. Yes, okay. same. They worked. Well, no, I think they worked third watch. And he uh, would come in and overlap them. Yeah. That's okay. why he would call yeah. them and say, hey, where are you guys at? Do you need any help? What can I do for you? You know, I, I don't remember who it was that made the comment that he would show up at a site and didn't care what he was asked to do. That's what he was going to go do. Or volunteer to just tell me where you need me. He didn't care. It was no, there was no agenda. And I thought that was cool to hear. We didn't, he didn't, obviously wasn't going to tell us that. So to hear that, to hear someone say that about your child, it's pretty, pretty humbling. It makes you proud. Absolutely. Very proud. So that night, I want, if y'all can, walk, walk us through how that night looked for, for you. Well, it started earlier in the day, Mitchell, you know, the weather was coming in. That was the night before, the night before the uh, ice and the cold temperatures and the sub zeros right. and all that. So that was the night before. He had called me or texted me during the day and said, hey, Dad, do you have a beanie I can borrow? He said, I've looked everywhere, and everybody must have raided Walmart and Target because there were no beanies <laughs> left available. He's like, I could wear a green one, but that's not really going to work very well. I said, yeah, I have one. I'll just put it in the mail. He worked 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. I said, I'll just put it in the mailbox, come by the house on the way to work, and just pick it up. So 
um, Sydney was home and we were, it was that day before Valentine's Day. So we were cutting some flowers. Mm -hmm. She had come home and I suppose it was close to 1230. And uh, I got ready to go to bed. I had a hand surgery, so I was sleeping on in the couch up front so I could prop my hand up. And I look at Mitchell's location, and I sent him a text. I'm like, dude, you're just, like, down the street. You should have knocked on the door when you came and got the beanie. And so he immediately called me. And so we talked for a little bit. <clears throat> we had plans to go as a family the next day to Texas Live for Jason Bolden and the Stragglers. So he's like, Mom, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do this tomorrow. I'll let you know how the night goes on. The weather's going to get bad. Its streets might start to get slick. And <clears throat> one thing I think was funny is he said, why can't you talk louder? And I said, because I don't want it to go down the hall. I'm trying to be quiet. I don't wake up your dad. And he's like, okay. So he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going in the door. Um, I'll call you in the morning. I said, okay, love you. And, and it was, he was headed in it was at the station. And so... We all went to sleep, and I remember at 2.22, my phone rings, and I thought, Green Prairie, what kind of phone number is that? I've not heard. I don't know who that is. Wow, it's been a long time since I had a call late at night that I didn't know who it was, and I silenced it. The next thing I heard is the phone ring down the hall and Tim talking, and then the next thing I remember is him walking back down the hall and telling me to get up. There's been an accident. There's been an accident. Mitchell's hurt. At that moment, I remember looking at my locations, and he was on 75, and I thought, hmm. And I had that feeling that they talk about, and I know he was waking up Sydney and Garrett. And I remember him think, saying something about maybe they're in surgery. Maybe he's in surgery. He's going to be okay or something. And I looked at him. I said, why are you lying to the kids? He's gone. I can feel it. He's gone. Why are you lying to them? And I don't remember anything happening. I must have gotten my glasses or put my contacts in and, he was on the phone for what I remember. You were on the phone after that call, calling people. So I answered my phone. <laughs> this is Sergeant. I don't remember his, his name. We've met him, uh, but I don't remember what his name was. So they said, Sergeant so-and-so, I, uh, Mitchell's been in an accident. Y'all need to come to Baylor downtown. I said, okay. I said, is it life or death? He said, yes. So immediately you're on alert, you know. So I wake up the kids and wake up Kathy and... He calls back a few minutes later and goes, hey, we're going to send a car to escort you to Baylor. Kathy and I kind of had a side conversation at that point in time and said, look, you know, we've seen enough TV shows. We've seen enough movies. They don't do that for a fender bender. This is going to be serious. So Garrett and Sydney are both asking, is he alive? Is he alive? I said, yeah, I think he's probably in surgery or whatever. You know, we still disagree on that stance as a, as a couple because uh, she said, you know, we should have just been up front with him. But I didn't know. I didn't want to tell him he was gone, then go through all that, then we get down there and he's not. What's my thought process? Uh, the unit arrives at the house. Which, what seems like three it took hours for, later. It seemed like it took forever for them to get there. We're waiting on the driveway for them to get there. Um, they get there. A really cool part of that was, as they're, I guess they let Richardson know they were right running code. code through Richardson. And about the time the DPD squad car arrived, so did five squad cars from Richardson just to make sure you know you need us to do anything or whatever I guess they talked so we had DPD in front of us and Richardson behind us all the way to Baylor to me this is the worst part of the trip we go south on 75 to get to Baylor and we drive right past the accident sure. didn't know I think Kathy knew because she had checked his locations and it showed his phone was in the middle of 75 at Walnut Hill 
I didn't put two and two together. We were just going. But to that officer, that's not his fault. No, that he was got the us quickest, there the that was the quickest way route. possible. You know, that was that was the right yeah, thing right. to do. So we get to Baylor, we turn the corner, and there's just squad cars everywhere with lights on. This isn't going to end well. I said, where do I park? They said, well, I don't care where you park. I think I parked in a crosswalk. You know, threw somebody my keys. I don't even remember who. So if you need to move it, move it, out, whatever. So we go to walk to Baylor into the hospital, and I reach. Sorry. I reach back to grab Kathy's hand to walk across the street together. And she said, I'm not going. She said, I'm not going because I know what's over there, and I don't want to go. And if I don't go, then it won't be. I said, we have to go. So I convinced her, kind of drug her across the street. We go in the entrance. And we stood there, and it seemed like forever. It was probably not more than two or three minutes. But nobody addressed us. Nobody asked us, can we help you, anything. But it was there was policemen everywhere. So we So we stand there, and Mama Bear gets a little shook up, and she finally goes, yeah, somebody needs to tell me what the F is going on. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's just not what she says. That's not her character. They immediately, oh, hey, 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 who are you? And we told him, oh, we come to this room. So we went to the room, and I think it's about the time we met you, Sean. Um, and we talked, and, and Chief Garcia came in, <clears throat> trauma surgeon came in and said, hey, do you want to talk about whatever? And I said, no, his wife isn't here yet. They lived in Allen, so she had a little bit farther drive. <clears throat> and she had to some stuff she had to take care of before she could leave the house. So I said, no, we're going to wait for his wife to get here. Um, she texted Sydney a few times. She texted me and said, hey, we just got here. So I went to meet her in the hallway. Met her in the hallway, and we went in the room, and that's when they said, you know. Unfortunately, you know, Mitchell got here and wasn't in good shape. We did all we could do. We put him on life support thinking that would help out. It didn't help. Um, I'm sorry to tell you, he's, he just didn't make it, didn't survive. And I don't know how long it was until they said, do you want to see him? It was a little bit. It was a little bit of time. Um, I have four men in my life that um, are really good friends. One's a really good mentor. And I think I talked to all four of them before I left my house and said, you know what? I don't know what we're walking into. I said, but, you know, you got a second. Say a prayer for Mitchell. So. I think when they told us, I left the room to go call Kathy's brother and let him know what was going on and call the same four men that I called at my house to tell him Mitchell didn't make it. We always said to each other, we're going to remember everything. John Lumley said to us, you're living in a fog. You're not going to remember a lot of stuff. So we still have conversations of, wow, did that really happen? Did you know so-and-so said this or did you know so-and-so was there? I will tell you this, the support we got that night from the minute we walked in that room till today, two years and a couple months later, is still the same. Uh, anything we needed, any, you know, we met Sean. Sean said, I want to, I'm going to pray with the family. Said, Absolutely. That's all, that's all we can do. That room was so small. I, I don't remember how big that room is, but it felt so small. Away, and there were so many people in that room. And, I just remember sitting in the same spot the whole time. I know one of the things you said, Garrett said on the way down was, gosh, I hope it wasn't a drunk driver. And I was like, why in the world would you say that? Like, um, I never had a worry one. I, and I never had one moment I was ever worried about my son. 
Um, it's one thing I remember the recruiter, when he called to talk to the parents, he said, do you have any concerns about your son becoming a police officer? I was like, no. If y'all got him for nine months, you've got to be able to figure out, yeah, y'all will train him up, it'll be fine. I never thought of someone else. I was always more fearful he would do something wrong. Um, I don't know if I said that. Did we say that that night? I was, tell me he didn't do anything wrong. You know? I, well, I asked John Lomley. I said, I got two questions. Did he do anything wrong? And will he be alone? Because I still struggle with that today. To leave wrestling, I feel like I'm leaving him. And now he's by himself. And that's what I didn't want that night. Um, and they assured me no. So the honor guard will be with him 24 hours a day until he's buried. That eased my angst a little bit. Because I didn't want him just mm-hmm. taken off to the Emmy's office and everybody just go home. And that was the end of him. So to know that that wasn't going to happen was very refreshing, if you would. Like I said, that support that we just started that night. So we left. We just kind of followed the herd and did what we were told. Um, and I remember we were taking him we were taking him to the ME's office. So by then it's, it's, it's morning. It's cold is ridiculous i mean and and i think that the snow had already started the ice or something um and we got in the squad car i didn't remember who was in the squad car with me i thought it was sydney you're telling me it's you i don't know where i don't know where anybody was no, it was sydney it was sydney was with me and you and garrett in a different squad car and so yeah i suppose it's just dawn and two different drivers and squad cars have taken us they must have been rookies they didn't know where the emmy's office was in retrospect (laughs) We didn't realize that y'all had the um, regular people do not leave their car's full blast heater when it's cold like that and get out of it for hours on end because you get back in and it's warm. So they've got the heat on. Thank you very much. On high. On high. <laughs> I know it's below freezing. And so they stop the squad cars in the, on some street, street off of 35 and they decide to discuss where in the heck we are and how to get to Emmy's office. Well, we're in the back of a squad car. I can't roll the window down. I can't turn the engine off. I can't open the door. And it is hot as heck. And we're like, can wow. they not just use their phones? Atlas Medical. We're like, what's going on? And I'll, go- I'll Google it for you. <laughs> I remember being very frustrated because, you know, I'm in a police car. I'm not supposed to do anything. I'm not supposed to touch anything. So I know I must have been sitting like this. And we were just so hot. Um, and then when we got to the Emmy's office, it was just, it was so cold. But. I'm glad we were able to laugh about that now, but those poor guys must have been thinking, what do we do? <laughs> the attention to him that was created that night was fascinating. At the Emmy's office, it was cold. You see, the Emmy's office has the roll-up doors on each end. Well, they didn't close either one of them. The wind's just howling through there. I'm thinking, can you just close that one door? We'll be a little bit more comfortable. And the officers stood there. I and swear the they weren't shivering at all. They just stood there. They just honored him. It was really cool. You got exposed to the what we call the blue. What did that mean to y'all after that point moving on? Each different day, I think it changed. It grew. <clears throat> Mitchell was kind of funny. He said, you know, if anything ever happens to me, Mike Motto's going to show up at the house. It doesn't matter what time of day or night it is. So after everything we did that day, which I can't even really remember, um, we were at home. Garrett and his girlfriend were there. Um, you and I. Sydney was with um, Noel at their place, 
And I know we slept in the living room because it was cold. We slept with the lights on. Nobody wanted to be in the dark. We didn't really sleep. And I remember, I don't know what time Mike and and Frederick and Ed got there. uh, It it was later than it normally would have been, uh, probably 11 plus o'clock. And there he pops up. And I'm like, wow, Mitchell, you were right. There's Mike Mata right there in my living room. Um, It started that night. I mean, and... Well, it started that morning. I mean, honestly, that we were never alone. We never had to think of anything. Um, y'all been through it too many times. You know that. Yeah, it's a routine now. Um, it's a well-oiled machine. Unfortunately, I can't think of one thing that we needed um, that we we didn't have. Um, and something else that happened that night, even after they left, the doorbell rings, and I'm like, "Who the heck is this?" You know, it's like ridiculous. And I looked outside and I took a picture, and our street was lined with. Richardson Police Department of Cars. And um, then my living room was filled with whoever was in those cars, and they were like, we're just, literally, I can probably stand in my kitchen and see Richardson Police Department through a few houses. And they said, we're sorry. And, I, and they had come with some cash that they had just taken up to that shift. They had come with a card and flowers, and one of the guys had just, I had a son, and they had some used clothes that they didn't need anymore for a little boy for us to give to Noel. And it was just, that was very surreal because it wasn't, it wasn't Dallas. Mitchell didn't serve Dallas, but then my Blue family is now bigger. Um, and I, I thought that was very important that they respected the fact that they, Mitchell was a police officer, but Mitchell didn't live in that, you know, he lived in that city. But, um, from that point, I think I, we, I don't know if we even really went to sleep, but I remember thinking the heater went off and the electricity went off. We knew we were going to have blo- rolling blackouts. And I'm like, Tim, it, electricity never came back on. <laughs> and it's cold. so cold. And um, I think somebody in our security detail outside. outside must have seen that the light, our outside light went off and it never came back on. And I don't know what time something. I got a text from my daughter that said, hey, we're moving you. Here's the address where you need to go. They have electricity. Happen to be on the same grid with the hospital, which makes sense. So we went there for, gosh, we were there for a week. There's where the brain doesn't work. We don't remember. Yeah. (laughs) I came came home one day to get some clothes. And you can't take everything you need. So we're going back and forth, and they wouldn't let us drive. And So they took me back to the house, and I get to the house, and there's water pouring down the driveway. I'm like, ah, that's not what I need. Luckily, it was a pipe out in the garage in the utility room, not inside the house. And uh, I don't, I don't, I think we just turned the water off and said, you know what, I'll deal with that when we come back home. Little story to that was it called a plumber, plumber came out and fixed it. And he saw something on, I saw a picture of Mitchell on the wall or something. He goes, Was that your son? I said, It was. I can remember the detail officer that was sitting outside, it was Sips was sitting outside our house that day. The guy fixes the fixes the uh broken pipe, comes to me and says, Hey, I need your signature. I said, Well let me I need to go in the house and get my credit card to pay you. He goes, It's already been taken care of. So I mean it's been taken care of. He goes, Let me ask you a question. He said there was a traffic was stopped on the toll road day before yesterday. Was that your son? I said it was He's like, All right, thanks. Have a good day. I never saw him again, never. I, I still to this day don't know. And I've asked several people, who who took care of that? I think it was the plumbing company. 
I think he called his boss and said, look, here's the deal, man. This family's been through enough. And little things like that, that it wasn't the financial end of it. It was the thought process that somebody else had to honor him a little bit more. There was a lot going on that first that first day or so. Um, Garrett, you hear, um, so the security detail that's given to the family, it's weird for us because y'all are there and, you know, to look out of the house that first night and there was a squad car out there. It was very comforting, very comforting for some weird reason. And then they moved us to the hotel and then you look out the window and there's two squad cars. <laughs> um but our security detail, we didn't realize at the time, had volunteered. Um, I'd never met any of them. Mitchell never had said their names. Um, I knew lots of names that Mitchell had either taken calls with or had been in the academy with, but I didn't know these people. And I remember uh, Tim walked out, and he goes, did you see that girl? She's got the most beautiful blue eyes. I'm like, okay. She's a cop. You know, what? You know, she is now one of our closest friends. Um, that's who we went, Avalon, went to, to New York to see her. Um, I don't know whose idea it was to take the kids. It was Gina's idea. Was it Gina's idea? Mm-hmm. Stuart or West. They, they've got my kids. And um, I looked at Tim. I'm like, you know, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, they're with the cops. Oh, it's got to be safe. Well, they're down at Fair Park doing donuts mm-hmm. in the snow. But what a comforting feeling for us because they got their mind off they of the, what just laugh. happened. You know, but there was a lot that the security detail did for us that, you know, then it was like, oh, I'm going to ride with Stuart. Oh, I'm going to ride with Gina. Oh, I'm going to ride with West. Oh, you know, because we had the same for the most part. And then, you know, we're at a hotel. Okay, so who needs deodorant? You know, because you don't get everything from your house. You're not thinking about it. You know, we, we, had, we had to move cats over there. Um, so we made lots of Target runs. And it got to be quite comical because <laughs> – how often does a police car drive up to Target and let people out to go into Target? People look at <laughs> and you then like... we come back with our bags and they let us back in. Yeah, yeah. I, we literally got in and out. And um, it, it, was, it was so helpful, so helpful that it was a different person. Then we started to have conversations and, and you know... Stories. Stories. And Naz, you know, was one of them. And he was... A PSO before he became a police officer in Dallas in Richardson. So he wound up stopping and helping, you know, another call from somebody he knew. It it just was very comforting having them there. I think after the water, we moved to Mitchell had already, I don't even know if Mitchell had been. So, yeah, we moved to a different hotel and they were always there. And And we're still friends with them to this day. I mean, Mm -hmm. we try to do dinner with them, you know once a month, once every other month or whatever, but it's still that bond. That'll never go away. And this is prior just to the funeral and the, the, the planning for the funeral. Correct. Lumley uh, helped out a lot. Oh, my gosh. He was the best. That's, I think he's made for that job. Uh, that liaison portion is very, very important. Um, well, you're talking about a guy who meets people on their worst day. Never knew him until their worst day. Mm-hmm. And he just handled it so professionally and so caring you know you think of police officers are hard and they're you know not supposed to have that emotion but he did and that emotions we've seen that emotion many times now so it kind of takes breaks that uh barrier down of thinking oh the police are just there to do their job no they're human and they have feelings too but you don't see that until you're put in that position to see that uh 
John was incredible. John and I go to lunch, you know, once a month. But it's kind of like, just, do you do you want to speak to the police? I mean, do you want to speak to the the press? They want to speak to you. I would suggest you don't speak to the press. Do you want to speak to the press? No, we don't want to nope. speak to the press. <laughs> Thank you. You know, he was at Buffer. You know, don't look at this. Don't talk to these people. Just, you know, the crazies that kind of come out. You know, be careful of, you know, stuff's going to so, start happening on your Facebook. Your, you know, if any, any concerns about this or that uh, was there the whole time. Don't read the comments. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a lot of, we were shuffled. You know, we we went where we were supposed to in a fog. Um, I know at one point in time, um, he called and said, what do you need? And I said, you know, Noel's pregnant. We can't get into our houses. You're telling us we need to get some clothes for these events. Everything, the city shut down. I mean, everything is shut down. And um, I'm not sure if I can say this or not, but they said, uh, let me see what I can do on this. And I know it went to city council. Y'all are smiling at me. I'm assuming you know, but um, we were taken to the Galleria, and they got us all clothes and put us together. And we have to give kudos. Nord- yeah. Nordstrom's opened their doors and said, "Just go find whatever you need." We each had our own. We each had our own personal shopper. You know who <laughs> took care of us. Uh, no questions asked. No, you know, it was incredible, and it was all done through the city council. You know, somebody had that connection. And it was just, it was a lifesaver because you know, we had the clothes at home, but like I said, they were home. If they needed to be washed, where was I going to wash them? I mean, so that was a, a godsend just for them to be willing to do that as a, as a company. Chief Garcia went and talked to some of his friends prior to the funeral to get to know, uh, go Mit- know Mitchell a little better. Right. Can you talk about that? I think John Lumley had asked who some of Mitchell's friends were in the academy he was close to, um, and so he took a few of took a few of them to, to lunch and just got to know who Mitchell was. And I'm sure they told all kinds of stories, academy stories. And um, I thought that was very classy. Before he spoke at our son's funeral, he wanted to know who he was speaking about, um, and that meant a lot to us because I. I know there was just stories, and, and he wasn't talking about somebody he'd never heard of before. That was his first. We knew that that was his first uh, line of duty death, even even in San Jose. I believe he didn't have one there. So, um, and that happened very quickly after he got there. And I remember, yeah, I remember very soon after he got there, um, Mitchell was like, "Man, he's out. He's out and about. He's he's at the different stations." And he's like, "I think he's going to come to Northeast next." <laughs> well, let's back up a little bit. Mitchell wasn't happy that Chief Garcia became Chief Garcia. Because he was from California. Because he was from California. <laughs> we initially weren't either. He we we told him that. We told him com- that. He made the comment to me <laughs> us in our house. I hope he's in California, my department. California, <laughs> my, my department. No, I got you. So yeah. we didn't even know that, that Chief Garcia was having those conversations or having that dinner. And I think he took a couple of classmates and a couple of FTOs. Mm-hmm. I think he took um, Is who he got all his information from. We had no idea until he said it at the funeral. And we were just like, wow, you took but, uh, the time to do that. That's that's caring for your troops. That's Mitchell would have really about. liked him. That's that's one thing I really, Mitchell would have loved to have met him because he's, he's a cop's cop. So police funerals are very traditional. There's, there's so much ceremony uh, that goes into it. And um, can, y'all, can y'all talk about how that was? I mean, I'm, the whole week was a fog and beyond, uh, but... What do you remember most from that that experience? I don't ever want to hear bagpipes again, um, ever, ever. 
um, a lot of pomp and circumstance. I mean, we just kind of went and did what we were told to do. Um, I think he Mitchell would have been very humbled with the attention that was shown him. Yeah, it wasn't a kid who ever seeked attention, but he earned it that day. Uh, and to to get what he got, I think he would have been very happy. I think somebody made the comment if he could have got a tweet from Trump, that would have made his day. You know, just what all the pomp and circumstance that came with it. I had never been to a officer's funeral ever. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know when they do the last call, final call. What do they call that? That was the worst part. Because that's, that's, that's final. That's it. You know, that was the worst part for me. But, you know, from Preston Wood opening up their church and, and all their people who volunteered to take care of us and helping us out, to, there were people at Restland that were so supportive and what do you need and we're here for you, and they still are. Uh, the whole picture was just so incredible. And I think the department has it down really well. I mean obviously after 7-7, but even down to the gun salute, those shells are put in this really magnificent box and given to Noel. Every single thing that could have been thought of, I mean, I, could, I couldn't think of a way to make it any better. Um, it, it's, it was perfect. I mean, I, I, I feel like everything that was done, the way we were, we were helped through the whole process, I mean, just... It was enjoyable to have Foya, as crazy as it is, even just at, at Restland, because I knew it was part of Mitchell. You know, his his two buddies were there, his family was there, but we we did it together. We were never alone. We didn't have to think of one thing um, without the department being there. Well, they allowed, <clears throat> excuse me, they allowed, they allowed us to have so much input. You know, they knew what their steps were going to be, but they wanted to know where we wanted to fit in in those steps, and it was really cool. We had a lot of things, and we picked. From the first no, no, of- Noel picked up the casket. She picked what he wanted. She wanted him to wear. You know, we picked the music. We sent him pictures. They did all that for us. You know, we we had our fingerprint on it, but it was within their process, and that was the cool part. We didn't have to. We didn't have to worry that anybody was going to do something we didn't. We didn't care for, because they had his best interest at heart. Yeah. That was the cool part. I remember the, when they asked us, you know, do you think Mitchell wants a police funeral or would he want? I was like, oh no. This guy, yeah, no, man, he would think he is so cool if you can bury him in his uniform. Um, yeah, he would have been really happy about that. Down to DPA. I mean, obviously, DPA, ATO, a whole time. I don't even know how it was, but, you know, our house is not big enough to have people over after after that. And they picked up, they let us, you know, use the room downstairs. I don't even know where food even came from. Um, obviously, everything that we needed we didn't want or need anything because they were here um, and had already, there were obviously many steps ahead of us, um, but it was very important for us to, to thank them too. Sadly, the Dallas police department has got a lot of experience in, in this process. Um, I want to talk about Mitchell's impact on friends and family that are left behind. Connor Smith. Well, yeah, Connor and his wife, Kayla, came to us and asked if it was okay. I think it was at Mitchell's second end of watch. They were pregnant and asked if it was okay if they um, could give Mitchell's middle name to their son. So um, we were very honored by that. Multiple conversations with Connor after the fact. Um, Connor was 
who Mitchell was helping that night. And um, he was able to open up to us and, and tell us a little bit more. I know it was tough on him. Um, it, I felt for his wife because the person that is her husband who went to work that night is not the same person who came home. But it's exactly the way God planned it to be. He ran back to Mitchell and was able to hold Mitchell and pray over him. That's where he was supposed to be. I hate that for Connor because he, that's his. He can't get rid of that. But Mitchell would, Mitchell would have been thrilled that, that Connor was there and could pray over him. Um, so for him to want to name his son after my son is, that's awesome. I mean, Mitchell would be incredibly honored by that. Um, I think he'd made the comment to me. He wished he'd had more time to, to know Mitchell better. Two other officers actually joined the DWI squad mm-hmm. because of this incident. To- right. Richard Campos and Nate Bryan. Nate was in a, his a classmate in the academy, and um, he'd already had it down. The time's down pretty good on DWIs, but it it solidified it for him that that's where he was he was going. And we often come upon holidays, and I'm like, take one to lose for him, and he's like, I'll do it. <laughs> so, and Richard's, I mean, Richard... He had, a, you know, he was there that night, obviously. Um, so that affected him. Um, I'm very, we're very honored that that there's so many people who we didn't know very well or even hardly knew at all that cared for Mitchell. So that's to me his impact, his character. Um, that in the short two years, which nine months of it's in the academy, he had that big of a, uh, a bearing on so many people. Well, I think it speaks to the brotherhood of even the ones who didn't know him that well were affected in his death. You know, it truly is, I think I put in a, in a Facebook post not long after Mitchell died that we knew that this was a big brotherhood and we knew it was a strong brotherhood, but we had no idea how incredibly tight that community is. We've had, we still have people reach out to us that I have no idea who they are. You know, I worked to, you know, a traffic accident on the highway with Mitchell and he was such a good kid. And that's all they say. You know, we get so many stories and so many little messages from people that really didn't know him. That was just who he helped on an accident that night. They weren't lifelong friends. They weren't, they didn't go through the academy together. But I think the respect that all of the officers have for each other became glaringly obvious to us and the people that didn't know him, but were still affected by his death. And it doesn't matter what department or what state. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We met people, we went up to D.C. for National Police Week, and we met officers from all over. And they, all they wanted to do was say, I'm sorry. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't done National Police Week as a police officer, I would highly recommend it. It's an incredible, incredible thing. 2023, we're going to fast forward to 2023. There's always an incident, and there's, there's a funeral. There's a saying goodbyes. And then you have to do the other part of this process because there is there's a judicial side to to that that has always been kind of waiting there and you, and in all this long time you really never know how it's going to go and law enforcement we have to deal with with the prosecutorial side and we understand it, it usually it, it it's hard it's hard to go through and just for a trial that that is not even to the magnitude of a lost officer. But then you factor in this, it really reopens a lot of wounds. 
it it's got to be done to get that part of justice done. Then you kind of pray that it it uh, it's done correctly. So can you talk about about the trial leading up to it and then uh, that experience for you? I think the biggest part for us was understanding what happened and how it happened. Um, our concern, obviously, was did Mitchell do anything wrong? Um, we sat in a room. I don't even remember if it was at headquarters with the prosecution team um, and some detectives. And I remember John Lumley saying, who do you want to speak to when this is over? And I said, that one right there. And it was Kyle Land. I just felt better with the cops than I did with you know the other, the other half just because I didn't know them. And um, I got a lot of comfort in just being able to ask him the questions of what's going on. Okay, what next? Okay, this is what's going to happen. Why is this happening? Um, we had the ability to speak to um, Lauren Black or Andrew James at any point in time or Ron Cathcart. Um, they were fabulous. But Ron kind of reminds me of Foy in a way. He's just that really, mm-hmm. So I was a little bit more comfortable with Kyle. <laughs> yeah, Ron's got those piercing eyes. Yeah, yeah so um, they answered any question we ever had at any point in time of what's going to happen, how's this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think that was, is this normal? Is this normal? What's going on with this? Uh, the website that they gave us that we could follow the case all the way through. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've typed in F2152348. Um and find out what's going on. Okay, why why is he get why are they asking to suppress this? Why are they da, 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 and then trying to figure out what what are we get what's the punishment going to be? It, what are they going to ask for? What are we comfortable with? Okay, what's the law? And and trying to get through that whole process. If the law says 5 to 99, why do we why is everybody keep telling me be happy with 10? That means he's only going to start 5. So that was difficult for me. I mentioned it to Nate and he said, "Golly, I can remember Mitchell and I sitting in the back of the academy class and him saying the same exact words. Why is it five to ninety nine? But you're telling me you're not going to get anywhere near ninety nine. He goes, "You two are really alike, um, but I'm very happy with the outcome. Um, but the process was the process was definitely the process. <laughs> well, it was you know they set the court date and moved it out, and they set the court date and they moved it out. So your emotions are you get prepared to go, and then you go off the cliff, and then you go back to the top of the mountain because we're going to do this again, and you go down back to the valley. So once they added, I think we asked Lauren, "Do you think this is really going to happen?" And Lauren says, it "Looks like they've added a second chair to the defense. They don't do that if you're not going to go to trial." We already had our room booked and our airfare paid for to, to go to Police Week. And Lauren comes, she goes, hey, it looks like trial's going to start on the 8th. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we're going to change directions here. And then the closer it got to it, I think the night before, we were all a little on edge. You don't know what to expect. We've never been through any. I've never sat in a courtroom before. I, don't, I have no idea what's going to happen. But Lauren and James were so good. All through the trial, and you saw it, they would come to us and go, hey, this next body cam is going to be pretty tough. Y'all might want to step out. Or an autopsy's coming up. You sure you want to be here for that? They took good, such good care of us. And they were so dedicated to Mitchell. You know, I remember Lauren went on maternity leave. When they said they were going to, she goes, you know, I'm just praying that they don't want to do the trial. But I'm going to ask them to wait till I get off maternity leave. She said, I want this case. I want to prosecute this case because it's Mitchell. So it, it helps a lot that they're on our side too. You know, it's it's huge. That's impressive because the stress that and that they're under because they want just they they want to put it together 
to honor Mitchell, right. to, to honor you, the family, and get justice. Some nothing is going to be bringing back, and nothing is ever going to heal the, any wound. You're going to have every every year in February. You're going to it's it's going to reopen. That's them doing their part, and they wanted to do it right, and it sounded like they did. Mm-hmm. They did they awesome. Did. They, they did were good. they were incredible. Even on the, when, you know, and they told us, like, you're going to think we're losing, then you're going to think we're winning, then you're going to think we're losing, then you're going to think we're, because you don't know. And that happened. That they, was, something would happen. I looked together, I'm like, oh, crap. It's just like, they told us Kyle this told was going to so happen. So he's like, you're going to think it, you just know. Settle down. It's, it's okay. It's and, part of the process. You know, Andrew would turn around and wink at me. I'm like, okay, if he's happy, then I'm happy. I'm yeah. good. <laughs> there, we, you and I were messaging on, on Facebook Messenger yes. and, and uh, during, during that, and I remember you, after the first couple of days, you were a little concerned. I yes. could I could read that in your text, and and I was it got me a little concerned. But also, I know the smoke and mirror acts that are put in the courtroom. True, you know, and Kathy got a little irritated at the defense, and I had reminders. She's that's her job, you know, you know, and her closing arguments were pretty much just uh-huh. saying that all the the tests were fake and they were rigged to make sure the guy was found guilty and this and that and this and that. And Kathy's getting irate, and I'm like, that's her job. You know, you know, so it my in the back of my mind, I always said to me, the blood is the blood is the blood. You can't change that. It is what it is. He was drunk. I mean, the blood work says it. I don't care what he says. Unfortunately, he was his worst known enemy because he couldn't shut up. But very pleased with the outcome. Um, I do have some. And I think all of us as a family got to the same point at some point in time. You know, we're not made to hate. It takes a lot of effort to hate somebody more energy to hate somebody than just to ignore him or put up with him. I think it was hardest on Garrett first. He verbalized it. Oh, yeah. Garrett and he was like, said, well, I... His comment to me in the in the squad car on the way to the medical examiner's office was, I just lost my best man. And that, that'll that always stay with people because that's his his outlook. They had, As the boys got older, it was five years between them, so there was a lot of testosterone issues throughout the years, a lot of them. But as they got older... I would watch them go. We'd go play golf together. I would watch them just interact. And they became men, not boys anymore that were, you know, arguing who was going to watch, you know, who'd go to bed first because they shared a room. Who'd go to bed first so they could control the TV. That became a game. They weren't doing that anymore. They were adults now, and they were having fun, and they were respecting each other. And Garrett was Mitchell's best man in October. Um, and that was Garrett's first comment to me was, I just lost my best man. What do I do? And I will, I will never forget that because – that just tells me that the love he had for his brother. So Joe's talked several times about the impact statement, and uh, I'm a coward. I hide from things like that. I, I don't. I don't indulge in in all the stuff that cops like to to expose themselves to. So I haven't actually heard it. But uh, Joe's not very soft selling on on how powerful it was. And so our question for you is: Where did you find the strength to actually give that statement? The victim impact. Um, I don't know. I've, I've spoken of a couple of times and I just felt like I had to do it for Mitchell. I mean, I, I had to do it for my son. Um, I had one chance. It was, it was tough because as soon as I saw Chief Garcia walk in, I was like, oh crap, because that man is so eloquent with his words. And I'm like, this is just me. This is just mom. This is just going to be who it is. Um, and I, I'd worked on it one of the first few times that, um, that we were told we were going to go to court. Actually, Kyle had sent me a couple of attachments that, of different places to go to write a victim impact statement. And and I would always go out to the cemetery and sit down. And there's not enough words. There's not enough time 
that can express what you've taken from me. But then I, I, I know he's not going to listen to me. But I knew that Mitchell would want me to say something. Um, I think over so many, so many people have prayed for us for so much, for so long. And I don't think I could have gotten there without, without the prayer. I mean, we raised our kids in the church, and we're believers. And it just, I had to, I had to say what, I just had to say what I felt like Mitchell would want me to say. Um, I, I, I know that we were all trying to figure out, he needs ramifications for, he needs punishment for what he did. Nothing will ever be good enough, because it just won't be. Um, but we aren't made to... I mean, I, I could, it wouldn't matter what I did. At the end of the day, no matter what the sentence was, Mitchell would not be here. I would hope that somewhere he would grow and learn. I don't know. Um, once once you hear that sentence, I, I, I think it was hard for all of us because I felt like we got what we wanted, but then it's like, oh, that's somebody else. You know, that's somebody else's kid. That's somebody else's dad. That's... It's hard. It's it's a hard back and forth because we're pretty staunch police people, um, and we're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. It's we're we're rule followers. Um, it's, it's just it's hard. It's back and forth. They're trying to figure out how in the world. But to answer the question, I just had to do it for myself. I don't I don't know how you got through that <clears throat> after enduring that entire week of unpacking that entire case. And seeing both sides of prosecution and defense, and yes, they are just doing their job, but they can be vile at at, at uh, the presentation. We've seen it. We we talked a little bit off air about people that have helped get you in a better place, mm-hmm. and and Dottie Claggett, his name came up mm-hmm. as far as helping you pack away certain memories, feelings. Can you talk about that? To use her, yes, to use her filing cabinet comment. Um, she helped to – I told her I wanted to make it through the trial um, and be able to remember what was said because those were things that were said about my son that, you know, I can't I can't get to as easily, you know, as a memory. Um, so I wanted to make it through the trial, and I wanted to be able to not be asked to leave because I was crying so so crazy. Um, and so she asked me, and so we, we went – I met with her a few times, and um, – the hardest thing was was to walk across that 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 crosswalk at Baylor. I can see it. It's one thing that's just like stuck in my head. And after meeting with her and doing, I think it's EMDR. Um, I called my daughter, and, and so I told her, and she goes, "Mom, you've never been able to tell that story without crying." And I was like, "Oh, I'm there." <laughs> but I've said it two or three times to two or three different people, explaining me and how Tim's hand was behind him, and. I can, you know, I can, I can say it. So Dottie is, is like my mini hero right now. Um, she's fabulous. It's, it's hard to find a grief counselor. It's hard to find someone who understands the perspective of police. Um, my mom was my best friend, and when she died, it was very difficult. I, this is much more immense and much more difficult to lose your child. Um, but when I found out she was, you know, it, it's like, okay. 23 years okay 17 years I'm going to this lady you know and I'd heard her name from a few different officers um but definitely helped I would tell anybody who's ever been through what you guys have gone through or even less like just going through life if if you can find a Dottie Claggett like somebody that can Mm -hmm. that can help you in that manner and it 
I tell everybody it works so quickly, but it seems like it's such a hard thing to open yourself up and say, Hey, I need a little bit of help right now handling the things that I'm handling. Cause again, Tim, you said it, we're men, right? We don't need help. I don't need help. I'm tough. No. And, and I'll tell you lying to yourself is the easiest thing to do mm-hmm. and admitting it and actually going and doing it is the hardest, but the most rewarding. And it, I don't know if it was just me. I've, I've talked to several people and it's like the minute you're done doing that and you walk out, you're just almost weightless because everything mm-hmm. that you've been trying to, I don't even know if you're trying to hold on to it or trying to, to process it or, or where it's at and what it's doing. But once you get free of that, it's such a huge relief. It, I, I, I would, I want to be a millionaire so that I can pay for everybody to go. I know. Absolutely. I know. Definitely. It's definitely. And the first we heard about that, um, was it cops, which is concerns of police survivors, which um, I think it was Jennifer downstairs and Vicki that said, hey, you know, every time I showed up here, it was just, and they said, you know, you need to go do this thing. And it's called cops. And so um, the fabulous thing about them is that they have, it's, it's beyond just the immediately immediate family so they have um parents retreats they have siblings retreats they have co-workers retreats they have extended family retreats they have kids you know children's retreats for little ones and then they have older ones. they have um uh, yeah the extended family but they have the co-workers and um at one point in time i was like every co-worker that you know was affected i mean how many how many times have i listened to this and how many officers from seven seven um, I met Valerie through, um, I'd already met Valerie, but Valerie and I are even closer because we're both parents. So when we went to that, I can let Tim tell that, but that was, October was the first time we went, and that's the first time I'd heard about the EMDR, and I was like, man, and I even told Dottie, it's like, man, what kind of hocus pocus are you doing? And she's like, I hear that all the time, but that that was, she's, she's like I said, my mini hero, everybody should go. I'm a big proponent of cops. Um just for the mental health side of it. And the first time we went to this, yeah, I'm not a big share my feelings kind of guy. It wasn't before Mitchell died. I'm more so now. You are now. I am now. <laughs> uh, before that, I was not. I was, you know, well, I don't need to cry. I don't need to do that. I don't, you know. So we get to Little Rock the first time we go there and we get to the front door and I'm like, hey, look, you know, it's only three hours back home. <laughs> if we leave now, we'll be home for dinner. It's okay. She said, no, we're going. I said, all right, I went inside. And it's funny because the rookies, the first time you're there, you get a one, one color secrets. badge. The next time you go back, your badge is a different color. So everybody knows that color is the rookies. We weren't in the room 10 minutes. Uh, we barely and walked in the we door. Had 10 people hug us. So was, Sorry you had to be here. I'm so glad you're here. And tell me about your son. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, they know it was my son. <laughs> and so yeah, it, it's, they got this little code. It's like mom, dad. And I didn't, I can't read that quick and whatever. And immediately I'm talking to this lady and she's lost her son. And then I'm talking to another one. And, and then it's, you know, you can go to the different classes and workshops, but, um, some of my, some of my closer friends right now are, are cops parents. And, um, fortunate is still, um, there's there's a lot of people who have it way worse than 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 we do. As crazy as that may sound, um, that's that's an awesome organization. Um, it's a little bit bigger than than you know. It's kind of like the wellness unit, the ATO, all kind of put together, if you will. Um, but it's very important. It's very important for us to give back, which is why we were going to go to Police Week this this year. We were going to 
to volunteer back for everything that was given and done for us. Rebuild and shattered lives. That's their motto. That's the mm-hmm. motto. And they do. Cops, it's concerns of police, of police survivors. Mm-hmm. So speaking of giving back, you know, part of even doing this this show here is helping others. And I believe it will. You know, I we we have not had we've had similar types of shows but uh episodes like this one but this one is unique and i i know that it's gonna help a lot of people grow and heal and maybe put things in perspective y'all seem to accelerated your giving back in the mounted unit uh can y'all talk about the the donation so we took a tour um or they had us down to the mounted unit right after mitchell passed and you know, the kids got to ride the horses and just a little bit of getaway and kind of take your mind off of it kind of thing. And I don't remember, I think it was Silver mm. made the comment to me or to us, we have more riders than we have horses. So we're walking down this alley and Kathy goes, like, what do you think a horse cost? Maybe that's what we should do. I'm like, I, about a horse? I have no idea. Who knows? So um, we reached out to, I think I reached out to Mike Mata first. And told him, hey, this is what we want to do. How do we do this? Where do, who do we talk to? Where do we go? And that didn't happen a whole lot. Sean and I went to breakfast one morning. I was telling Sean. Sean's like, hey, where's that at? And I'm like, I haven't heard back from anybody. He's like, huh, fix that. By the time we had <laughs> left, I got a call from Renta Riera. He said, hey, I understand you want to do this. Let's figure out how to do this. What does it look like? So he explained the process to me. You know, we'll find the horse. You'll, you'll approve it. And then we'll go through our normal process, the vet check and all that stuff. So they would send us pictures. Hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, eh, I really like that one. Uh, They found one they thought they wanted. Went to the vet check and the vet said, no, it's not something right about this horse. We're not going to go down that route. Then we get a picture of Walker. Mm -hmm. And he is beautiful. He's brown, huge, half Clydesdale, just a a beefy and so uh, they said, we think this is the one. I said, okay, where's he at? And they told us where he was at. And he said he was in Celeste. I'd never been out of the pasture until he came to the mounted unit. Never been shooed. Never. He had four years old. He has nine offspring. So he's pretty <laughs> he's good bloodline. <laughs> so they were excited about that. <laughs> exactly. So um, they said, we think this is the one. You know, we agreed upon. At first he said, what's your budget? And I gave him my number for the budget. He goes, okay, we can work within that. No problem. It's, that's easy. So he finds him. Says, but this is the one. So Zach Johnson and Renty Riera go out. No, to, Silver. Okay. Silver, sorry. Silver. Okay. Go out to where he's at just to get their hands on him and see him. And so Silver gets on him. Well, he's never been ridden before. Throws him off and breaks his leg. Oh, I think it was right. fractured. <laughs> So the first time we met Silver, he's in a We're boot like, and a boot? knee brace. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So like your horse did this to us. <laughs> I was okay. like, oh, sorry. So that's kind of a funny story. So we said, that's the one we wanted. If that's good with you, then we're happy with it. He was beautiful. Uh, the first time we met him, that is the most easygoing horse. 100% matches the personality of Mitchell. Mm-hmm. You can scratch his head. He'll lay his head on he your shoulder and just yeah. let you rub him. He loves candy. He loves sweets. You can feed him peppermints or whatever he wants. And he's just... Just exist, you know. They were worried. They were concerned that bringing him into the barn, new smells, new sounds, new routines was really going to affect him. This has been very easy. So he's just easy going. Do I'll do whatever you tell me to do. That's my job. 
He's probably 15, half, 16 hands now, probably about 1,200 pounds. Uh, I think he's like, like around 12 is what they thought. Yeah, they want to put more weight on him. So he's only four. He may be close to He said to, he, he can be, be here for 20 down. years, you know. Uh, so they said, what do you want to name him? And we may have to edit part of this out. We came up with the name Blackhawk. Mitchell's favorite hockey team was Chicago Blackhawks. Garrett had the Penguins, I had the Bruins, and Mitchell had Blackhawks. Don't thought know that why. Because we cool. live in a town that has their own team. I don't know why we felt like we needed somebody else's team. So we said, hey, Mitchell would be thrilled if we named him Blackhawk. So we decided that's what we're going to do. And it came down to it, and we all decided, you know what? We're going to piss off two different genres of people. It was right about the time the, <laughs> you know, it was the Redskins were having to be renamed. The Me Too came out and, and all this. And I'm like, oh, we're going to piss people off. We can't do that. So we sat down as a family and said, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I don't know who came up with Walker. I don't uh, know if it was Garrett or Sydney or... It was Mr. Garrett. It was Garrett. So Mitchell's favorite show was Walker, Texas Ranger, right? <laughs> Made sense. You know, so we said, came up with the name Walker. So it stuck and... You know, he's just, he's great. Uh, we're friends with... with uh, Mounted Unit's great. Pat Burke is his writer. Mm-hmm. And we're no. friend, good friends with him. And, you know, anytime we want to see him, you know, they tell us all the time, Barn's yours, you know. Yeah. And they've done, they've, they're, they're so, they are awesome down there. They're yes, absolutely they awesome. Um, tell Garcia he needs to get on him and ride him for a, a bit. But um, he's, they're, they're just, they're super sweet. They let us come down at any point in time. And, you know, he's the city's horse. He's the department's horse. He's not our horse anymore. But, um, yeah, we get to go down there all the time and, and love on him. And he's just, a, he's super sweet. They are, they are really sweet animals. Just, they, they teach us something every time we're down there, too. It was just the right thing to do. You know, I never would have thought we were ever by a horse. <laughs> yeah. It was never because we had that brief conversation while we were down there, and then we went through the through the the little bit of healing we did in between, and we were like, we kind of went away from that whole conversation. And then when I had dinner, it came back, and kind of was like, hey, we need to do. You no, know, we talked about this horse. I think that's what we need to do. I think that's what we're supposed to do. I'm like, I'm on board. That's what you want to do. We'll do it. And now, you know. They'll call us in there. They'll send us videos. They sent us videos while he was in training. Nadine did and sent us videos. And, uh, he went to Austin this last Tracy year. did. So he went to Austin for his. Yeah, he went to Austin his first time first. to go to Memorial down there. And it was really so sweet because we were there volunteering. And we had, um, Renteria had sent me a text. Hey, we're going to take Walker to, to Austin. If you're going to be there, let us know. So we were there and. The night before, he goes, hey, I don't know if you guys have time or not. The horses are put at the Austin barn. If you want to go over there and see him, this is the address. Go over there and see him. Just tell him you're with us and go over there and see him. We didn't have time. We were doing some volunteer stuff that night, so we knew we would see him at the ceremony the next day. It's really cool because the, all the mounted units come walking in together, so you hear all the horses on this pavement, and it's click, 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 click. And the Capitol's behind it's you. It's so it's cool, awesome. and the Capitol's right there, and the memorial wall's here. It's just phenomenal scene. So I'm standing there, and Kathy's helping volunteers get on the bus back at the hotel. And I went ahead, and I'm videotaping them as they're going by, and they're waving and they're having, you know, it's really cool. They get to where they're going to post up, and we finished up what we were doing. We were able to go over there and say hi to him and, and pet him and love on him, take some pictures with him and stuff. And we left, and they said, okay, we're going to go over here. They walked away, and I thought, well, they're just going to go walk them because they've been standing there for a while or whatever. <laughs> so I sent uh Nadine a message I said hey you know I have some friends that want to we want to introduce them to Walker are you guys still here she goes no as soon as y'all left we got in the, we got the truck <laughs> we're and we're headed back to Dallas <laughs> they stayed there long enough for, for us, us to, to see, see him. him and then 
left at that point in time. Once we had seen him and once they, you know, it was just cool. Little things like that that they do for us. We need to just, give back to them some. I mean, like, absolutely. We kind of did this whole take cookies and brownies to all the different people who were there for us. Um, I think we, we did Northeast first, obviously, because Mitchell's birthday was very soon after the accident. So we took cookies and brownies to them. Well, I didn't realize how big the station was. And when somebody tells me there's 450 officers that are at any point in time, that's a lot of cookies and brownies. <laughs> um, well, we and I know I, we went to the DFR station as well that was that answered that call that night. We went to Richardson and gave cookies. And I, sorry, I got off late last night. Y'all didn't get cookies and brownies today. Um, <laughs> that was in her plan. Though. It was in my plan. <laughs> um, we want to go to Baylor and thank them. Um, I don't. I haven't been able to grasp that thought of going back down there. But I think because of Dottie, I can do it this time. Which is, I didn't think I could do it before. But um, from what I hear, you know, everything stops when a police officer comes in, in any condition. And I've had a couple of police officers send me a picture that they have of Mitchell between the ambulance bay and the emergency room department. And that's just... It's on the wall My kids' the pictures spread out all over the city, and it's really in a, very nice. But um, like we'll to- come across stuff from time to time. People will send us that we never even knew. You know, like that picture. Adam was, as, is the one who sent us the picture. He was a Baylor sitting on somebody one night or whatever, and he was leaving, and he straightened The picture was crooked, and he reached up there and straightened the picture and took a picture of it. And it's the 7-7 guys are up there already, and they added Mitchell to that wall. It's very cool. Uh, like I said, we haven't been down there to see it. We've seen pictures. Mm-hmm. But just the thought process that goes into that. You know, I've often wanted to speak with, and I, and I talked to you about, you know, how do I get a hold of the trauma surgeon? How do I find out who that was? Because I, the inquiring side of me wants to understand, you know, what I, I get his injuries. I understand that. Perfect example is during trial they did the reenactment, or the reenactment of the accident. And there was three X's on this video. I thought, what the heck are those X's? You don't think about when somebody is projected forward, they bounce. And that's what those three X's were. That had never crossed my mind. He flew, he landed. You don't think about bouncing. So little things like that makes me want to ask, you know, I had, I had asked Floyd one time, hey, how, how can I get a copy of the medical examiner's report? Well, come to find out, there wasn't a lot to it. I mean... He had a tip-fib break on his leg and a fracture in his head. That was it. There was no gruesome pictures. There was no in-depth, you know, this is what happened and this was the reaction to that. It just, he literally hit his head so hard that, you know, it, it took the nerves away that allowed him to breathe. So he, even if he had survived, he would have never breathed on his own. and We would have not wanted that for him and he would have not wanted that. So... People that are willing to to open up to us, you know, we had somebody take us down and we saw his car down at the impound before trial even happened. Uh, Just because I had some questions about that, I didn't quite understand why there was so much damage on both corners. If he hit one corner, I didn't get that. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember the guy who testified who did the reenactment. The A and I. I don't don't remember his name, but he met us there and said, "Ask me any questions you want to know." So I said, I don't understand the damage. He goes, well, he positioned his hands and said the car was here. He got hit here. Impact was here. Drove him into that wall. And I was like, oh, I never thought about going at the, the, the wall. The, what do they call those? The barrier. The barrier. Median. Never thought about that. So that makes sense. Now I understand. Um, we had heard that there was some markings on the B post of the car from his gun belt. So we were able to see that. It wasn't 
we were worried that it was going to be emotional because that's the last place Mitchell was alive. Kyle did that for us. I mean, he it asked me a couple of times, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, Tim and I want to see a squad car before we get to trial. Um, and I, I think that helped us a whole lot. I mean, Absolutely. honestly, we, we both left there and I said I was, I was holding the inside where you open the door because I know that was the last thing he should have touched with that hand. And Tim, it would have hit, you know, we'd kind of worked our way around the car, and he said he, the last thing he was touching was the steering wheel because that was one of the last things Mitchell touched. You just want, you want everything that you can get. We were one of those people that tell us everything. I don't care. I want to know it all. And, and I was trying to make the timeline from 145 to when the tweet was to when the police came out to what the Emmy support says. You want it to all line up. And um, I think that's just, it's your child. You want everything about them. You wanted the connectivities mm-hmm. to last. Mm-hmm. And, under, and, you're, and you're trying to understand the full story. Mm-hmm. The full there's a there's a beginning and end to every book, and there was spaces. And I understand. I, I totally understand you wanting to find out who the surgeon was. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to talk to Doc Eastman and see if we can you know, just it, figure that out. I know we talked to him, and I know and I know they did everything they could. I'm not I'm not there to criticize his work. I'm there to inquire. What were your first thoughts? What were you, what was the final deciding factor that said, you know, this is not going to make it. It's not going to, it's not going to survive this. What was your, what is his thought process? I guess not the, even the medical side, just his thought process in his head, having seen this, having done this, having been there before. No, and he was working on a, on a Dallas officer. Exactly. What did you, what was your thought? So little things like that, that inquiry minds want to know. Uh, but. There's not a whole lot we haven't we haven't run into a whole lot of people who say, you know, you don't need to know that. They're always like, you know, if you feel like you can handle hearing it, we'll tell it, and they did, you know, and we're grateful for that. Speaking of inquiring minds, you had mentioned before to me that you would, in the future, like to meet the suspect driver of the vehicle. Absolutely. Why? Why, why is that? I think he needs to know that we don't hate him. I watched. That Friday, when they came back with a guilty verdict, and I watched him drop his head, and I thought to myself, he has no future. This is a man that's sitting here at 34 years old. He turned 35 and loose there. 34 years old, that his only future is to wake up, try not to get killed in prison, and go back to bed that night for the next 20-something years. That must be such a daunting thought. I can't imagine but I think he needs to know we don't hate. I have a book I want to take him that my uh, CEO gave us at a sales meeting. It's only 70 pages. It was written in 1903. It's Shakespearean. It's hard to read, but it has a lot of point to it. And, and then the book is The Way We Thinketh. And it breaks it down and says the way you think is the way you're going to live. If you think about yourself all the time, then you're going to be selfish. If you think about others, you're going to serve others. And it just puts into perspective. And if you if you read the book and you read into it and you accept what the book says, it says you can be a better person just by changing the way you think. I think he needs to read that. You know, I had a friend call me uh, a couple of days ago and said, hey, and we found out that he'd been moved. He's in Abilene now. He said, can he get mail? I said, sure he can. He said, what are you going to mail him? I said, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. I said, what are your thoughts? This is a friend, dear friend, probably my best friend. Been married, we've been married, been friends for 25 years. He said, You need to mail him a Bible and put Mitchell's picture in the front of it. I said, 
I get the Bible and I get the picture, but I don't get the combination. He said, he, I think he needs to understand he's not living for himself. He's living for others or needs to live for others. And part of that others is Mitchell. The picture of Mitchell isn't meant to anger him or to, to put him in a bad spot. It's to make him understand I did wrong and I need to repent and I need to get better. And that's the reason why I need to get better. I was like, wow, that's pretty powerful. And that's from a kid, a guy, I mean, we, I've known him for 25 years. He knows Mitchell. I mean, he knows Garrett. He knows Sydney. You know, we I traveled the world with him for ten years. Sydney'd bring us homemade cookies when we came home at the airport. You know, but that was his thought process. Is is he needs to understand? There's a reason why he's there, and that reason is that picture, and his answer is that book. People think I'm crazy. No, <laughs> a lot no. of my friends are like, "Why would you even care about that dude, man? He's still human. He's still got a mama, like she said. Got kids." So in the time that I've been helping out with this podcast and we've been doing this wellness thing on the department, I've been through a couple of classes and just my own personal experiences taught me that uh, a lot of healing is done through helping other people. And it, it seems contradictory because you're trying to help other people heal, but you're really healing yourself, right? right. Um, you guys have done a fantastic job of that so far. So keep doing what you're doing as far as that goes. Um, the other thing that I've found happens over and over again in the people that we talk to is tragedy leads to something positive and it takes exceptional people to take something negative and turn it into a positive and you guys have also done that so i didn't want to do this episode i didn't want to be here um but we have to right i mean when yep. when you guys call we don't really get to say no so um i'm glad i did though because i, I didn't know mitchell but I, I really feel like i know him a whole lot better now and it, it's it's awkward i mean we've talked for two and a half hours and I feel like I know Mitchell a whole lot better. So thank you guys for, for coming in today and talking with us. Thank you. Thank you for allowing thanks us for too. Having us. Thanks for you know, thanks for having that open forum of communication. Because that's what led to this. And I don't know what my thought process was. You know, I mean, I always want to tell this story. I love to tell this story. And it happens. People are like, hey, I was going to call you the other day, but I didn't know if you were having a good day that day, and I didn't want to ruin it by bringing up Mitchell. You know, for me, it's the polar opposite. If I'm having a bad day, I want you to, because I want to be able to talk about him. My family thinks I'm crazy. I watch that funeral once a week. People look at me, are you crazy? Why do you do that? That's the last day I saw him. And watching that takes me back to him, number one. Number two, I get to hear his friends and coworkers honor him. And the things they say, I can, I can verbatim tell you every speech that's been said, that was said at that funeral. But to hear his friends say it, you know, Caitlin Miller was his dearest friend. They grew up together. They were buddies. They were, you know, there was never anything romantic. It was all just we're buddies and we're going to support each other forever, no matter what we go through. And to hear her say, it's an honor for me to honor Mitchell. That's why I watched that. We all have parents and we don't get to choose them, right? Yes, ma'am. And all these um, first responders out there, they have parents. They may be deceased. They may not be as good of parents as you guys are. But what message do you have to send to our future first responders, the ones that are out there grinding it out? What message from a parent do you have to send? Yeah, I think it, to me it's just trust the process. I said, you know, just when the, when the recruiter called us and said, you have any worries? We were both like, no. 
I like I liken it to a liken it to a NASCAR driver, huge NASCAR fan. If a driver gets in the car and goes, Well, I hope today's not the day I die in a wreck, he's done. If same thing with a police officer. They don't expect that day. They don't anticipate that day. So we as parents don't either. We always know as parents it's there. It's that little thought in the back of your head of, yeah, there was a shooting tonight. wonder where that was at. And we still do that. And there was an officer involved shooting. We'll call somebody and go, hey, where was that at? Do we know anybody in that area? Just in case. There's support out there for parents. Whether your child is in the department, if you're going through stress or if you're going through anxiety, whatever it might be, maybe you didn't want that career path for your child. But you need to support your child in what they do. Because if you're, I feel like if we had been negative against Mitchell and said, no, that's not what we want you to do, if he didn't do it, then at some point in time he's going to resent us. I, I didn't have a problem. I was proud of what he did. The day he graduated, I, you know, I think I was more proud of the day he graduated from the academy than I was when he graduated from college, to be honest with you. Because it's such an accomplishment, because it's such a grind over those nine months. But I think the parents just need to support their child, understand what they go through. But you need to open that line of communication and be willing to talk to them if something goes wrong. Because they're going to need, they can talk to all the counselors they want to, but mom and dad are at a different level. So be there for your children. Be it a firefighter, be it an EMT, be it a police officer. Because they're going to need to talk. I can't imagine not... As much as we heard his stories all the time, I can't imagine not hearing those stories. You want to have that communication, and I guess that's the biggest part for me, is, is accept what your child's doing. If you, if you don't like it, they're still your child, and you're going to support them. But have that open line of communication where they can vent to you, or, or they have concerns, or they're scared, or whatever. Be there for them. ATL listeners in the country and outside the country, I believe you now have a full story and a better picture of who Mitchell Pinton is. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for allowing us. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey Mrs. Hey Mr. I'll see this all the way through. sun and the moon I'll never give up on you Down when you're lonely I'll pull you up Life leaves you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder Together we'll run up from the bottom Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you Hey Mrs. Hey Mr., I'll see this all the way
sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I'll never give up on you.